Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm story expert who's kind of new to being around humans, Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm film scholar wielding the two-sided doodad, Noelle LaCroix. And we're here today to talk about End of Days, the 21st episode of season seven. End of Days aired on May 13th, 2003, and was written by Doug Petrie and Jane Espenson and directed by Marita Grabiak. Still Pretty is a fully spoiled, full-spectrum Buffy podcast, so if you haven't seen all of the show, go take care of that, and we'll just sit here waiting and looking good for our age. Trying to talk will just kill you sooner. Let's go on patrol. In End of Days, we pick up where we dropped off with Buffy staring at a shiny red scythe. Caleb comes in taunting her about whether she'll be able to pry it from solid rock before he kills her, but she simply lifts it out. First, Buffy tells Caleb to stand down and let her go because her friends are about to be blasted into itty bitty potential pieces. Buffy runs off. In the vineyard basement, the potentials start waking up after the explosion and they pull an unconscious faith from a basement pool, I guess? And as they try to escape, Cuthbert steps out to stop them. Hi, Cuthbert! It's all of us. One of him. We can take one of these things. At Slayer Central, the Scoobies return with no news from Buffy. Their locator spell turned up an empty house. Giles is worried. Back at the vineyard, Cuthbert attacks and the potentials freak out. Just as he's about to pop Kennedy's head off, Buffy jumps through the ceiling and cleanly swipes his head off with a scythe, barely breaking a sweat. She tells all the potentials to get the wounded and bounce. At the house, everyone tends to the wounded girls, and Faith, still unconscious, is carried upstairs to a bed. Buffy meets with the original Scoobies and shows them the scythe. She says all she knows is that it's important, and it feels like it belongs to her. She sets them to the task of researching the side. And don't worry, Buff. We'll find out everything there is to know. Good. Because right now, that thing's all we got going for us. Downstairs, Anya and Andrew tend to the wounded, and Anya employs her ace bedside manner. Trying to talk will just kill you sooner. Andrew suggests they go to one of the abandoned hospitals and steal some medical supplies. In the kitchen, Buffy asks Xander for a favor. We don't hear the details, but Xander's not pleased about it. If he does this thing for her, that's it for him in this fight. He says he always thought he'd be there with her at the end, and she says he will be. He's her strength. During Willow's research session, she discovers that the vineyard used to be a monastery. And it's not like creepy monks messing with things they don't understand hasn't been a thing before. She and Giles can't figure out what it is, and Giles suggests she use magics to access the truth about the scythe. But Willow has her doubts. Willow, you could... You could do it without endangering yourself. If I, I tried something big, I'd change. And, and then it's all black hair and, and veins and, and lightning bolts. I can hardly do a locator spell without getting dark roots. And if it was necessary? Honestly, I don't know. They get a clue that leads them to a pagan temple, and Giles suggests that since the scythe is a symbol of the dead, they should find out where the pagans buried their dead. Xander and Dawn are searching for a crossbow in the car, and Xander smothers her with chloroform and knocks her out. He puts her in the car and drives away. At the vineyard, Caleb's throwing a fit about letting Buffy go, but first Buffy tells him he's too weak to fight her. She says they need to merge, and Caleb agrees. She turns from Buffy to a transparent demon and enters him. He falls to the ground, then looks up, eyes black. And I'm ready to serve thee. 
At the house, Faith is awake and Buffy shows her the scythe. They talk about the battle at the vineyard and Faith feels like she got those potentials killed. Buffy says that war is about stupid, needless death and Faith says that she's deliberately been on her own and she's been jealous of Buffy. But when she was in charge, she'd never felt so alone in her entire life. Buffy says she loves her friends, but that's the cost of being a slayer. Buffy goes downstairs to a dark house full of sleeping potentials when Spike comes in. He sees the scythe and is impressed, and the two of them go into the kitchen to talk. He tries to bluff about last night, saying they shouldn't make a big thing out of it, and she's about to go find out about the scythe, so he wishes her luck and turns away. She goes after him, tells him that she's holding the key to this fight because of him and last night, and they finally talk. All I did was hold you, watch you sleep. It was the best night of my life. They talk about defining what they are to each other, but Spike says they should leave it for now and go be heroes first. While raiding the hospital, Andrew asks Anya why she's even there. She says the humans are stupid, but they never quit fighting when it matters, so she's going to fight too. You love humans. I do not. Yes, you do. You love them. Stop it! I don't love them, and I'll kill you if you tell anybody. Buffy goes into a cemetery, finds an old pagan temple, and kicks the door in, as you do. An old woman is there waiting for her. She tells Buffy that she was one of the people who put the scythe in the rock to hide it from the Shadow Men. And then the Watchers came and watched the Slayers, but her group was watching them. She says she's a guardian, women who want to help and protect the Slayers. Does this mean I can win? That is really up to you. That's all well and good, but then Caleb comes in and snaps the last guardian's neck and she falls to the ground. Out on the road, Xander is driving when Dawn wakes up. He explains the plan, The Buffy asked him to take Dawn away from the fight. He hands Dawn a letter from Buffy and she starts to read. But while she's reading, she takes Xander out with a taser and somehow manages from the passenger seat to hit the brake, coast the car to the side of the road, accelerate, turn it around, and head back to town. Okay, sure. Back at the temple, Buffy and Caleb fight, but he's stronger than he was and starts to get the best of her, knocking the scythe out of her hand. Caleb is about to bring the scythe down on Buffy when a man steps in and knocks him back with one punch, and it's... Angel. They reunite for a moment, but Caleb's recovering from Angel's bitch slap, and Buffy has to get back into it. She and Caleb fight, and she slices him from soup to nuts. Or more accurately, I guess it's from nuts to soup. And that's the end of Caleb. Buffy rushes back to Angel, and for reasons that have nothing to do with consistent storytelling and everything to do with cutting a deceptive trailer that would get people to watch, she kisses him. While they're kissing, Spike watches from the shadows with first Buffy smirking over his shoulder. That bitch. All right, everyone. Oh, my God. We are almost done with Still Pretty. I still can't believe it. After we do next week's episode for Chosen, we will be doing a finale episode with Noelle and me and special guest Dr. Kelly Jones from Still Dead. We'll be talking about everything Angel and Buffy, our experiences podcasting about these shows and what's coming up next. We would love for you to be a part of it. We're asking fans to record clips for us telling us what their favorite part of Still Pretty was. Record them on your phone. They don't need to be professional. Just tell us your name, maybe where you're from, if you're comfortable sharing that information, and send it in to info at chipperish.com. We will play them during the show. All right, back to end of days. Noelle, my darling, what did you think of this episode? Visually, I really like this episode. There's a lot mm -hmm. of just really beautiful 
television production going on in this episode. And I like Mm -hmm. a lot of the little relationship pairings that we get. Um, Story-wise, I don't know. But I also... I tend to like middle chapters of things, and this yeah. is very much the middle of, like, the last sort of three-chapter yeah. push of Buffy. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. I mean, I like this episode except the last minute or so, which I hate, like, passionately, <laughs> and we will talk about that. Well, it's terrible. Um, you hate it because it's terrible. I only hate it because it's Fucking awful. But at this point, right before the finale, you know, we're setting up the final conflict, putting all the pieces in place. And because of this, penultimate episodes of every season tend to be a little bit scattered, maybe a little bit boring. It's connective tissue. Um, But for an episode carrying that like narrative responsibility, it's not that bad until the end (laughs) when it gets really bad. Um, But one of the things that like stands out to me and of course has been a thing since the beginning of talking about season seven is like this weirdly disappointing big bad for this season. Um, We've talked a lot so far about how the the first is kind of a disappointing big bad. Um, And I like season seven a lot, but the reasons why I like it are really character based and not as much narrative based. Although I do like the way in which season seven lands the narrative arc from the beginning of season one, all the way to the end, one girl in all the world to all the potentials being activated, you know? Um, But, you know, we have this huge missed opportunity um, in the first. And and this point in the season, it's basically like, you know, whatever. Yes, it was great to have this like psychological demon, you know, um, this psychological evil to fight. But instead, we just created, you know, Cuthbert. And then we brought in Caleb so that something could hit Buffy and Buffy could hit back. Um, but in this episode, though... Like, have we just ceased to care? Why does the first just let Buffy go? Um, It makes zero sense. Like, I can't even... So there's some stuff in this episode with the first that I think is really interesting. Like the little mm-hmm. the little bit with Caleb and like merging and this is a whole thing that yeah. they do. And then the first says, you know, after all of this is over, I'll be able to merge with everybody. And I'm like... Okay, sure. Like that fine. That's that's a thing. I like yeah. that the first I and I I hope I hope that this was in the that this was a a choice that the director mm-hmm. and the actors made together of the first seems to be getting kind of bored with Caleb and his antics. Yeah. And is making fun of him and he says you're starting to sound like her. This is a sacred act for me or whatever it is. And she's like for me as well. <laughs> this line read is just everything. And I'm like, you would though, like you would get so, if you weren't like the first evil, you would get mm-hmm. so bored with these humans and their shenanigans after a while. So like, and why, why do they even need Caleb? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I guess the first, like anything else just wants to be loved. Um <laughs> You know, like why, like what, yeah. like evil. Mm-hmm. We talked about this a little bit last time that like the first wants, you know, is envious mm-hmm. of humans and their human bodies being able to do human body things. And I'm like, mm-hmm. all right. I mean, kind of relatable, but what? Like what? Yeah. Is good? <sighs> I mean, that was and that would have been a really, really nice thing to like play on for the season. Instead, we have one season where we touch on it. Then we have Caleb, who is the first like go to evil 
you know? Yeah, like the like Caleb, it's almost like Caleb is the only human who really understands the first evil. Like I can really talk yeah. to you, Caleb, because like you get me. You're the only one who really gets me. And then like uh, well, then the first is like, okay, you're weak because we haven't merged in a while. But here we are ramping up for the big fight. Why are you not merging, you know? Every night, at least two to three times a week, right? Why not? I keep mean, it, why are you letting this guy get weak? Well, because you get busy, so then you have to, like, put it on the calendar. And, you know, mm-hmm. you have to have, like, oh my God. merge nights. The first Trello board must just be so fucking full <laughs> between all of those bringers and then the Cuthberts, which is another thing. Apparently, someone went out and bled the seal at the high school to generate more Cuthberts. Or I mean, something? if you can do that... Right. If you could do that, what do you need Caleb for? You know, because he talks and can say misogynistic shit. What is even the point of Caleb aside from giving Nathan Fillion some fun scenery to chew? Well, and we did misogyny as the big bad. Like we've done right. that. So mm-hmm. we we're I mean, we're doing it again and it's it's fine. I love it. I actually really like yeah. Caleb as a bad guy, but mm-hmm. it's not oh, I like it too. It's but... not new. And it's not, Mm -hmm. it's all like, (laughs) like I say, I like a lot of things about this episode, but I'm also just genuinely confused by this episode. We're, we're, yeah, we're raising stakes ish, but also not really because what's going on. Kind of because why, you know, know. Um, but yeah, like, and you know, I mean, we, we, you know, this scythe matters as Willow very cutely expresses. Um, So letting Buffy just run off with it without a fight is a writer reason because we want Caleb for the fight at the end of the episode, but not a story reason because it makes sense for our antagonist to let Buffy have the scythe. So this whole thing at this point, like at this point as a viewer, I've already given up on the first. (laughs) I've already like, you know, now as like a, you know, a story critic, I'm looking at it and I'm like, okay, well, here are the things with this that maybe need a look. But at this point as a viewer i have just i don't even care anymore i have ceased to care it's fine caleb i don't care it's is nathan fillion is a lot of fun in this episode he's i mean i like caleb and i want i just want there to be more there there with the first Mm -hmm. and caleb if that's gonna be a big thing i mean if he is like you know maybe this maybe this is some sort of great love story about the first yeah. and this corrupt holy man who like knows mm-hmm. he's not a holy man but dresses like one because like he's a really okay Caleb is a really interesting character but the show is not about him and it doesn't really mm-hmm. give him enough to we we never really learn anything about him other than he is a misogynist which mm-hmm. is great like i love to see it i love i love this kind of villain and i love him in this episode yeah but we i mean from a from a story perspective like we don't really know anything about him why is he here he's mm-hmm. just like the evilest dude i don't know i don't know yeah I, I mean, I guess. And, and you know, Nathan Fillion is killing it. It's wonderful. Like, you know, Caleb is a lot of fun to watch. Um, and I think his performance is really great. Like, I just don't understand why why Caleb specifically there are plenty of super super evil serial murderers in the world. Yeah. Um, and and why Caleb now because 
what do you, you know, like, what do you need him for? You can bleed a pig over the seal. Apparently the seal now is like that jar of peanut butter. Once the seal has been loosened, you can just crack that open, <laughs> stick in a spoon and have a great time. So, and get yourself another Cuthbert. Uh, so the whole thing is, again, it's one of these things that at this point in the season, I've ceased asking questions. I have gotten, I've just gotten too tired and I don't care anymore. <laughs> but it is, it's kind of interesting like it's you know it's uh, Caleb is really um kind of like a fascinating character I just yeah you want more from it I do I do and I think part of the issue is that all of the detail that I want about Caleb and like who he is and how he came Mm -hmm. to have this relationship with the first evil yeah that's like a different show I think that's part of the problem but I do love the Caleb that we get here I love his speechifying and his little darn as Buffy pulls the (laughs) weapon out of the rock like it's so good it's so good it's so funny but also it sets up this male ego that believes it can't lose yes And he's afraid. Like, this is the first time that we see him really afraid when the first, Mm -hmm. you know, the first is like, let her go. I'm like, what? None of this makes any sense. And I'm with Caleb because he's like, if I let her leave, she slices me open with that thing. And I'm like, damn right. Yes. Like, that's exactly Mm -hmm. what happens, my good dude. Um, (laughs) But it's, I mean, I love his, like, he is aware that he's in danger on some level because of course he's like no i'm not gonna let her go she's got the the shiny weapon thing that we're gonna talk about in a minute Mm -hmm. but then his death is incredible i mean and yes i know he's not dead dead until the next episode but it's played Mm -hmm. like a death down to the psycho homage pulling down the curtain (sighs) shot that is in absolutely everything because we just love that shot like we do. We just love it. The it's reveal. everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, Buffy slashes him across the belly, which is a great choice. We've mm-hmm. seen the first impersonate one of his victims with that incredible belly slash wound. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Well done. You know, nice way to yeah. circle back, bring it around. And then he staggers backwards. He like stands up straight, knows mm-hmm. he's wounded, staggers backwards, and he laughs. Yeah. And that laugh is everything it is incredible because he can't believe it he cannot Mm -hmm. believe he's lost it's Mm -hmm. a laugh of misogyny but also of contempt he Mm -hmm. hates buffy and he hates women even as he's dying even as a woman has killed him there's this like like he's his his refusal of his own inevitable death and the loss of this fight in that last... I mean, it's everything. I love it. I love it so much. Well, yeah. And it's what Anya talks about, right? Oh, yes. She's like, humans always know the death is coming, but they're always surprised surprised. when it happens. Yeah. And then they're surprised, which doesn't just foretell Caleb's death. Yeah. Um, It also kind of foretells her own in in the next episode. It's fully spoiled, people. Shut up. It's 20 years old. You know what's coming. (laughs) Um, 
<laughs> One of the other things that I love from this episode, of course, is Faith, right? Um, oh, my I God, love yes. this scene with Buffy and Faith, um, where Faith finally really understands how lonely it is to be the Slayer in charge. And we have the two of them talking about their isolation, how nobody can ever really understand. But the thing is, is that someone does understand. They they both like understand it. And now neither one of them is isolated in the responsibility of being a slayer anymore. But we don't acknowledge that no. between them, which feels weird. Well, there's this weird little moment, too, where if they had wanted for this to be a romantic story between these mm -hmm. two slayers, yeah. there's a door wide open there. It's there it so is. wide open. It's, I'm like, mm -hmm. they could kiss right now. That would be fine with me. And, you know, yeah. for mm -hmm. more than just the obvious reasons. There's <laughs> so much to be said about faith, faith acknowledging. I mean, like acknowledging some vulnerability with Buffy. And I, I fucking hate that Buffy makes fun of her. In this yeah, scene, no, I hate that. Mm -hmm. I fucking hate it because Faith is trying to do yeah. pretty much what everyone has been asking her to do all along, which is like, yeah, be vulnerable and and you know be part of the group here. And so anyway, Buffy interrupting her mm -hmm. and making fun of her fucking sucks. But mm -hmm. she raises this really interesting question. She says, "There's only supposed to be one." Maybe that's mm -hmm. why you and I can never get along. We're not supposed to exist together. Mm -hmm. And then they undermine that with Buffy being like, oh, well, you went all evil and started killing people. They take that a different direction. But that is such a yeah. fascinating philosophical path well, to go down yeah. like, if you wanted to. And then to have them have a real conversation and come around on, oh, yeah, we're not supposed to exist together and we do. And we can mm -hmm. use that to our advantage. I mean, missed yeah. opportunity. Missed opportunity. Missed you don't even have to make it sexy yeah. and romantic. It's still a missed opportunity for them it's to really... It's a missed opportunity in a number of levels. Yeah. 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 But I, yeah. Love, I love seeing them. I always love seeing them together. They're mm -hmm. just... It's, it's so delightful. But you're absolutely right. The, like, no one understands. No one knows what it feels like. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. The person who understands is right here, literally right here. Exactly. And can you imagine the power in that scene if Buffy was like, you're not alone. Yeah. You never were alone. And then Faith, like, can you imagine Faith understanding what that means? Like yeah. for the first time and how wonderful it would have been to have Buffy show kindness and compassion for Faith. You know, the best we get is kind of like, okay, I'll put my knife down, you know, like, yeah. that's, but I mean, to have kindness and compassion for faith, understanding faith chose to be alone and Buffy chose to be with people. They both ended up in isolation and then being able to share that with each other. That's the kind of thing that like, that is a conversation when you finally find somebody who gets it. You don't want to leave. You end up sitting around with hot tea and cookies and talking all night. And like, that's what I want from Buffy yeah. and Faith in this. I want that bonding, romantic, sexual, any, I don't care if it's platonic, whatever. I just want them to connect. And it's so 
close. It's sitting right there. And also this idea that as foreshadowing, we're not supposed to exist together. And then, of course, by the end of the next episode, we have hundreds, thousands yeah. across the world of, of Slayers. Um and what that that opens up for a whole different stage of this story, you know, um, there's so much here. And again, it's like, oh, they just move right past it and they don't really engage with it. And, uh, you know, and I find that a little bit frustrating. But again, at this point, I'm like, OK, whatever. I know. I know. Fine. <laughs> Another missed opportunity. We're just going to keep going. Um, one of the things that I really did enjoy in this, of course, is Anya. Anya and Andrew, we've got all these wonderful little pairings mm -hmm. again in this episode. And I think I am pretty sure that Andrew works with everybody. He's like the garlic of the group, right? No matter what you pair him with, it's good. Or or if we're making something sweet, he could be the chocolate chips. It's fine. He's the <laughs> chocolate chips. He's everything. Um, I love him with Anya. I love Anya's, you know, callous bedside manner. Um, I love the conversation that they have at the hospital. And he looks at her and he says, you are the perfect woman. And she says, I've often thought so. I love Anya's healthy sense of self and of her own value. All of this is delightful for me. I love all of it. They are, they have gotten much better together. They weren't, yeah. I mean, they were trying to work, they were trying to work together and maybe not quite doing it with the, their, their, um, education of the potentials needed a little right. bit of right. finessing, <laughs> but, the, but mm -hmm. this, this, when they're talking about, when they're talking about like what am I doing here? Like both of them are are exploring this idea of like, why am I even here? Mm -hmm. But they need the other one there to do that. Like it's Andrew, yeah. it's Andrew who pulls that out of Anya that like, you know, you could just leave. Like, why are you yeah. here? And yeah. he pulls that really wonderful speech from her that, mm -hmm. you know, like you love humans. <laughs> You love you them. love them. <laughs> but it's I mean, that is a great that is a freaking great speech from Anya. And yeah, it's Andrew. Yeah. It's Andrew who gets gets that. And yeah. then oh God, the little moment, then his like counterpoint to that, where yeah. he's like, I don't think I'll be okay. I'm cool with it. Mm -hmm. my oh whole my god. Huh, what? My dude, I love Andrew. his willingness. He's so willing after everything that he's done to sacrifice himself for the greater good. And this is a genuine growth moment from Andrew. He is not narrativizing this at all. He is just saying, I'm not going to make it. And that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And he's figured out what he can do. Too. Yeah. After all of this time of trying to fit into the group and trying to narrativize his way into things like he's doing some really practical hands on community care. Yeah, that I mean, it's oddly moving. And maybe this is because mm -hmm. this is also who I often am in a group. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it's Andrew, Andrew raiding the grocery store. First of oh. all, just like that just that in mm -hmm. and of itself is wonderful but then encouraging the household to start with the apples because he's brought a bunch of you know non-perishable yeah. food 
But he's also brought apples because he says the rest of the produce was on its way to Funky Town, which I enjoy. It's one of my favorite things ever. But yes. then he encouraged, he's like, the apples look pretty good, so you might want to start with those. Like, yeah, let's eat up the produce yeah. first. Also, you probably need, you know, the vitamins. Some, some vitamins. You know, yeah. in an that apocalypse. That caretaking is so lovely from him. In an apocalypse, we want apples. We're going to look for citrus. Yes tomatoes if you can find them but eat those first because they're the most delicate but you don't have to refrigerate them so you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) those go a long way and then you know Mm -hmm. capri suns for morale and jaffa cakes because even though giles is a complete twit andrew still cares about giles's morale too Mm -hmm. i don't know i like of all of the of all of the little unsung heroic moments it's yeah andrew andrew trying to take care of everybody i don't don't know i don't know it's andrew for me in this episode i love him i love him so much and what's funny is that not unlike my complications with xander that because i love xander so much at the end of the season um at the end of the series uh, it kind of goes back so when i watch terrible terrible xander from the beginning i'm always shocked i'm like no my xander is wonderful because my xander exists in the last like 15 minutes of the show um but yeah andrew it's kind of the same thing like Andrew in season six, not great, but this Andrew seeing him arc into this humanity. And I I just, I love all of it. Um, But speaking of Xander, um, so we have this moment with Xander and Buffy that I absolutely love. She is asking him for a favor. We don't know at this point what that favor is. Of course, it is knocking out Dawn and taking her far, far away. Um, And when he's talking to her, he says, I thought I would be there with you at the end. And it's a wonderful sentiment, which of course is then turned into something funny when she starts making fun of him. She's like, hey, you said I was going to die. You know, (laughs) I really enjoy that. I really enjoy the way that scene Mm -hmm. is written, the way it plays, the way it's shot. I that. That is a that is pretty much a perfect interaction between Xander and Buffy for me, mm-hmm. which is fascinating because I don't like Xander. <laughs> You're not a fan. I'm not a You're fan. You're not a fan. That scene works on me. It works yeah. so well. And it also falls into that that mm, we've talked about this before with lots of other characters and with Xander yeah. of we're writing this emotional moment this like emotionally Mm -hmm. resonant moment and we're just gonna not talk about all the other shit that has gone on because for right now we need xander to be the source of buffy's strength or whatever yeah but that scene that scene Mm -hmm. completely works on me the way we push in on both of their faces as they're talking and then we bring it back Mm -hmm. and they're they're back to joking around with each other yeah it, oh it's so well done exactly and then it's kind of ruined <laughs> because we make xander knock dawn out with chloroform um and then kidnap her and drive her away and like i understand buffy asking xander to take dawn away I understand the the expectation that Dawn is going to resist. But also, Xander is a communicator. 
he can talk to Dawn. Like, he can talk her into it. And the reason why you ask Xander is not because he's the handiest with the chloroform. You ask him (laughs) because he is the persuasive argument guy. And he is. He makes a persuasive argument. So the thing that, like, I hate about this um, is that he knocks her out. He kidnaps her against her will drives her out, gives her a letter when she finally wakes up, right? Um, And we have this kidnapping scenario in which Dawn has now become essentially a hostage, right? Um, And so none of that is great. How much better would it have been if we had had Xander sitting down with Dawn and saying, this is what we need to do. This is how you help Buffy because she can't, she can't go on if something happens to you, you know, like this kind of thing. And like when he talked, and so what I would have loved to have seen is if we had the scene where instead of knocking her out, he talks her into it, they get in the car and they go. Then we cut to the scene where they're driving and they're talking and Dawn reverses it on Xander and convinces him and he turns the car around and then they both go back. I would have loved that so much more because when you take choices away, writers out there, write this down. (laughs) When you take choices away from your characters, you undercut the characters. And also the idea that Buffy would violate Dawn's um, consent bodily like that and would ask Xander to do that. Like all of that, I find you know, like really, really not cool. And we do have this moment at the end, this ridiculous fucking, she tasers the guy who is driving the vehicle that she is in. She somehow manages from the passenger seat to coast the vehicle to the side of the road. And then from the passenger seat, accelerate, do a U-turn, and apparently just keep driving from the passenger seat. It It is both a, yes, Dawn is a badass moment, and also a what the fuck is this craziness moment. It is so ridiculous. Oh, I love it. I love it. (laughs) I love this whole thing because this Mm -hmm. is an apocalypse and we're just in desperate times call for desperate measures. (laughs) And I do appreciate the moment after Xander chloroforms Dawn, we get a close up on his face and Nick, I mean... I wish the I wish the acting chops were just a little bit stronger there because it is this like oh that mm-hmm. sucked face yeah. and I just wish mm-hmm. that that read a little bit more strongly but no I love it I it's terrible this is all terrible <laughs> and I love it so much mm-hmm. I love that we go from joking around about you know, Xander's Xander is doing the thing that he does of mm-hmm. being funny yeah and then he turns right around and just and does this thing because Buffy has asked him to and it doesn't feel great but like he knows that this is his role and then Dawn turning it around on him and he's like oh I'm sorry I'm so out of it somebody knocked me out with chloroform like it's oh my god I love them together it is it is it shenanigans oh absolutely it's I mean it's totally there are fun elements to it but no yeah 
Yeah. I don't like any of it. I don't like any of it. I think it undercuts the where we've come with Xander. I think it undercuts Dawn. I think it undercuts Buffy. I think that the harder thing is to have the conversation and convince her and then have her agree to it. And I would have rather seen that. Plus, like, you know, writer's lesson here, never take a choice away from your characters if you can help it. Every idea you get, even stuff that looks like it's going to be fun in the ways in which, you know, admittedly, this whole shenanigans is fun. Um, run the version of it where people actively choose their own fates against your shenanigans. And if if that isn't a better version, then fair enough. But I think it will almost always be the better version of that idea. I mean, probably. But watching Don <laughs> Taser Xander in the net. Taser Xander. I don't know. I don't know. I, it's, it's great. It's, I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Fair enough. We can once again agree to disagree. Um, All right. So then we have I, I, I. I the last guardian I found really really fascinating. Um and as this is a fully spoiled podcast, I'm going to bring in a little bit about this comparison with Willow. Um because the last guardian with that white long flowing hair looks kind of like Willow after Willow does her spell activating the slayers with the scythe. Um and considering that Willow's concern was that even a locator spell gives her dark roots, it's such an interesting Contrast, but this guardian idea, this, this, you know, the last guardian, this woman who has been there, she's, she looks good for her age. Like all of this stuff going on with that, I find, um, really interesting, a little weird and kind of not maybe thought out that well. Oh, it's so not thought out. And you can tell, (laughs) like they did not... They did not know that this mm-hmm. is where this was going to go. It, oh, it holds no water at all. The only I, reason, yeah. the only mm-hmm. reason this guardian figure works for me at all is that I love her. She's giving me Finn uh, yes. Rizel vibes from yeah. Willow and I love it. I love her. Yep. And mm-hmm. I have headcanoned a whole bunch of explanation for like, why? This is the case, but it's not there. Like none of it is in the show. This comes out of nowhere and also was somehow in Sunnydale the whole time? Question The whole time. Okay, let's talk about The Last Guardian. Let's just sit with this for a little bit. So all of these guardians way the hell back in the day had the power to create in ancient times, like a magical weapon, which looks like it's the combination of an ancient weapon and a new off-the-lot Sherry Red 57 Chevy. So there's that, yeah, which is that weird. might also be, I don't know, an electric guitar somehow. It has that vibe. It, it really does. Like, it looks like it should be on a 1970s album cover being wielded by a Viking lady who is slaying a dragon on the moon like it doesn't oh my god the specificity of that description is one of the most beautiful (laughs) things ever and i love it so much it is it is both an ancient pre-christian weapon but also from space like what in the world what they had the power to keep it shiny and new looking through what I think is likely millennia, right? I mean, it is shiny, fresh off the lot, which is why we have to have multiple people tell us it's old. <laughs> I'm like, it's oh, so sure it is. Old. It looks. <laughs> 
It looks really old. They also had the power to make a thing that killed. I mean, this is her story, right? Yes. The story as she is telling it. Yes. Is that it killed the last full demon on Earth. Let's remember all the demons we've been dealing with until I think the mayor in the Ascension was became a full demon. That's why he was a giant snake. But all the demons other than that in, in the Buffyverse are human-demon hybrids. So this is like watered-down demon shit, right? But okay. this thing yeah. killed the last full demon, the last mayor snake that was on Earth, right? Um, and they also, these Guardians, had the power to keep that power powerful weapon from the shadow men. Um, so they also watched the watchers, but they didn't stop them from routinely murdering slayers as soon as they might be old enough to get a little mouthy about this bullshit system. So apparently they watched, but they didn't actually like do anything. And all of these years, the guardian just sat in that temple without so much as a pack of playing cards. Like what was she doing that whole time? I mean, clearly moisturizing. Well, like, clearly, as Cordelia would say, that is a lady who knows how to moisturize. Yeah, but okay. what the fuck? Yeah. All right. So we got we got an old white lady who's like old, but like not that old, but also super yeah. duper old right. in a pyramid somehow. That's mm-hmm. also like I love how I love the specificity from Giles of like there. When Giles and Willow are in research mode, which mm-hmm. love it, love to see it. But Giles <laughs> yes. is like. Giles is like Native American and Willow's like, I don't think so. I don't know. And I'm like, nope, the show has no clue. Like, we don't know. This is something that has been here for some amount of time. Also, why America? Because if they were there at the beginning of time, like, I don't know. When did people come over to America? Like, you know, I I just, it's just, all of it is so, it's so like roughly sketched and kind of weird and yet i still like i still dig it like don't get me wrong it doesn't make any sense at all oh, it makes- but i kind of dig the idea of it but like why did they not intervene when say a god was ripping through dimensions yeah you know? see, like- okay so this is the stuff where i'm just like i have to headcanon a whole yeah. bunch of mythology around this yeah. To even make it kind of work. Mm-hmm. But for real, why is she an old white lady? Like, I'm just yeah. like, why? Like, that makes... Why is she white? Anyway. Why is she white? What is going on? The, I have no idea. So the Watchers of the Watchers actually really dig this idea. Like, mm-hmm. I And I, I deeply appreciate this idea that I have headcanoned, that they mm-hmm. are such higher beings that they're not even going to bother with human tomfoolery. Like, mm-hmm. they're going to observe kind of casually and play chess on the astral plane and use whatever wormhole infused face serum makes you look 60 when you're 2000. Um, But I I mean, I don't know. I like the idea of the guardians being, you know, there to help and protect, but not helping Mm -hmm. in the sense of intervening, helping in the sense of like facilitating maybe. And protecting, actually not at all. Well, Doing protecting, no protecting. Okay, like, but protecting in the 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 ways of a higher being or not our little human ways, kind of mm-hmm. way. like this. Like literally, the only way this even sort of works or makes any sense yeah. if we're is if we're doing the well, 
God's ways are not our ways and we can't understand, you know, suffering exists because it's part of God's plan. Like that really damaging kind yeah. of theological bent on things. The like, oh, by by letting the watchers, you know, kill right. the slayers, essentially, we were helping somehow. But that's like, the that's the PT Barnum argument. Like that's the <laughs> let me give you a reason. Like I tell you I'm all powerful and you're like, okay, well can you make a rock so big that like even you can't lift that? And then you're like, well no, the the extent of my power is beyond your comprehension. So I'm yeah. just gonna sit here and do nothing and show you how powerful I am and that you will attribute anything that does happen to me only when it's good. So like that kind of long con sort of God messaging, I find to be, um, you know, like it, well, it, it's, yeah. It's super problematic, but it's kind yeah. of the only way that this even works a little bit. Because uh, yeah, you have to do some serious, serious headcanon work, like writing up a whole world story to make this work. Yeah. And like, mm -hmm. why introduce this now? See, that's the most, that is the most backwards pants day thing to me. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. the most backwards pants day thing is there is a pyramid in Southern California that is somehow a pagan temple that's not, I don't know, whatever. Yeah, whatever, we haven't. Whatever. Yeah, Whatever. noticed. And that we before. haven't, this has never come up. That's fine. Um, yeah, no. It's... But, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't even know. I don't even know. Okay, and let me, as, as we do this, let me just say, like, none of this is easy. No! Oh Writing this stuff I is not easy. Putting shit. together this me? world is not easy. Like, you know, we, we come at this stuff from a very critical, I come at this stuff from a very critical, like, perspective of, like, trying to figure it out because I like to take it apart so that I can understand how story works. Like, that's my whole thing. And one of the things that I like to do every now and again is just reiterate my basic thing that when it comes to creators and critics, creators win, hands down, doesn't matter what they did because they made a thing, right? So I just want to say like yes there's there's a lot of questions to be asked here and a lot of things and a lot of ways in which i think certain things could have been done better but they win they made a thing they wrote a thing and a lot of it is awesome well you know yeah absolutely and yet again so much potential like this yes. whole the whole matriarchy that like watches over the patriarchy and maybe is playing some sort of like not game necessarily, but is like has a greater vision than, mm -hmm. you know, because the watchers, the watchers explain so much of their power with, well, we are the watchers and you are the slayer. And this is, mm -hmm. you know, this is the how it, you know, <laughs> from yeah. the beginning of the slayer. Line, how it has blah, been blah, blah. from the beginning yeah. of blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So mm -hmm. the idea that maybe, oh, I don't know, maybe the watchers aren't really the the top of this system maybe these women are letting the men think they're in charge kind or of vibe something. it has that yeah. very like 1950s housewife kind of you so know compelling. i'm the one who actually runs the show kind of thing i don't know it's all it's all weird it's so all compelling. weird like, i like it i love the idea but i love yeah. so i love that after all of this you know <laughs> exposition ish yeah. Like not even. So we introduce mm -hmm. we introduce this woman. We introduce this. There's this whole other element to the Slayer line and yeah, 
the the watchers of the watchers and whatnot. And then she dies. <laughs> right. Or does she? Yeah. Because she's because completely gone. We never see her body. No. Caleb snaps her neck, but she drops we never to the floor. And there's she this whole the fight. And we've got lots of wide shots. That's it. Where'd she we go? never see her body. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think she's fine. I think she's probably <laughs> like really she's probably having a mimosa with her girls somewhere. Somewhere. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. so enjoying what, a nice what, brunch. Okay, but for real, from a story perspective, why introduce this element at the last minute and then not explain it? I think because there's a lot of cool stuff about it. Like there's, a, you know, and and also at this point, like they're spinning out a little bit hard. There's a, there's some smoke on the tires at this point in this episode, <laughs> okay. right? In this yeah. season um, where they're like, you, at a certain point, you're just like, you know what? Let's just finish it. Let's just do whatever we got to do to get it done. You got a deadline. You're working. You're just like, all right, let's throw that in. It's a lot of work to figure all this stuff out and and some of it is there are very very cool ideas that just haven't been it's 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 not entirely baked cookie dough to you know (laughs) borrow from a metaphor that we're going to be working with a little bit later um and as long as we're going to talk about cookie dough right let's let's use that as a segue into into spike and buffy um i actually super love this conversation that they have to me when when they talk to each other and she says, I have this because of you, because of the strength that you gave me, you know, the last night meant something that, you know, that all I did was hold you while you slept. And that was the best night of my life. Like, I love all of that stuff. When he says, I'm terrified, you know, I've never been here before. And he hasn't, he, you know, loved Buffy as much as he could love Buffy before he got his soul. But now it's a different thing. And he's dealing with a different different kind of environment for that. Um, I think it's the most actual romantic moment with Buffy and Spike because they're really talking. Are they talking though? Like, is this talking? <laughs> they're so indirect. They both know what they're talking about and we know what they're talking about. I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm fully like, okay. that sounds, no, that, yeah. that, that sounds like I'm being snarky, but I, I watched that scene several times and my yeah. whole, my experience of watching that scene was this is supposed to be meaningful and romantic and I don't get it. Like I don't oh, understand, yeah. like I, I was genuinely confused mm-hmm. as to what they were talking about. I understood that I was supposed to be getting things from context clues. Like this is the most beautiful they have made spike look like lighting wise framing wise Mm -hmm. hair and makeup like they are doing he like he is a romantic hero of a romance Mm -hmm. with a capital r in this scene and i'm like okay i Mm -hmm. see that like i see what you're doing but what is actually being said and the way they are with each other feels so indirect to me i'm going what am i supposed to have what am I supposed to gather from this scene? Like See, I un- what I yeah I don't what I, I got from it is I don't get it. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh no, um, just like I don't I don't get it. <laughs> okay. What I see here is that these two have actually fucked a house down, like between them. Like they have been together um in a lot of ways, but they've never been emotionally 
close and Spike has never been emotionally close. Um, and this is the first time that he has been emotionally with someone that that just holding her and watching her sleep. Sex is powerful and fun and physical. This was an emotional, you know, experience for him that he hasn't had. He hasn't been close like that. Um, and so that's a new kind of space for him. And expressing that to her and telling her that that's where he is emotionally with her um, is also a vulnerability that he's not used to. So him actually saying all of that to her and her saying, I mean, this is like the first time that she says, yeah, he says, were you there with me? Were you also having this emotional connection? Were you also feeling that? And oh, see, then I, she says, I read yes. that as like, were you in the room? Like not physically in the oh. room, but like, were you paying attention? Because she, she says something to indicate, shoot, I wish I had the, the script, mm -hmm. but she says something that's like, indicate seems to indicate some confusion in that moment. And he says, were you there with me? And which I read as like, why like why why are you confused in this moment about what i'm talking like were you there <laughs> were you paying oh, attention yeah that's, how that's I, not how i read that that's scene how i read all. that interesting so, yeah. yeah yeah no that's yeah that's why i got a whole different thing out of it but her admitting that it was a really important moment for her too is new this is buffy has never said anything like that to him before you know um she has feelings she the most she has ever admitted and i don't think that spike was in the room when she admitted it was that she has feelings for him but what those feelings are and the fact that those feelings are often white hot rage and murdery feelings right like, um you know i i think that like this is the biggest admission from buffy this is when they actually start talking to each other and sharing with each other and i completely completely like got it and then of course they go and ruin it all with this angel bullshit at the end <laughs> which oh my god i was so mad i forgot that angel oh. came back for the end of buffy and i'm like oh my god it's why so i mean i know exactly why i know exactly awful. why and, well, of course of course of because they had to cut a promo back. that said <gasps> what happens when angel and buffy kiss while spike watches on all of a sudden we're in dawson's creek what the fuck is this <laughs> look I like Angel as much as the next girl. I did an entire podcast about the Angel series, but his showing up here with a stupid fucking penis and laying out a freshly empowered Caleb who was roundly kicking Buffy's ass, lays him out with one punch, then makes out with Buffy, which is not something Angel would do just so that we can set up this bullshit cliffhanger. I hate it. I hate it so, so much. Angel shows up. Is a whole ass middle aged man who has five o'clock shadow at 8 a.m. and has been to several gyms. And we do not address it. Like, we can't because ageless vampire or something. But, like, nope. So, so Angel showing up, period, is distracting. But he went from 17 to 38 years old and it's like <laughs> nothing happened. It's. Uh hilarious it's hilarious yes. it's so funny to me it mm -hmm. pulls me completely out i do i have to say i do enjoy him saying i missed watching this yeah because it feels a little bit like the show telling on itself mm -hmm. 
that there is because there is something about this episode. And I should have said this at the top of the show, but there's something mm-hmm. about this episode that feels to me like an earlier season of Buffy. A little bit. And well, maybe I mean, yeah. it's and maybe it is everybody sort of returning to some of their original mm-hmm. roles and dynamics. I mean, we get yeah. full like we fully get Willow and Giles in research mode with the books, yeah. with the computer doing this whole thing. So Angel saying, like, I missed watching this feels like a little nod to we're wrapping up the series, mm-hmm. maybe. But him showing yeah. up in the last, it's like, so oh, it's dumb. so, it's so it's ridiculous. It's so dumb, and I just absolutely fucking hate it. And then we have Spike watching from the shadows as first Buffy says that bitch and I'm just oh my god it's so dumb it's also completely false conflict because we end up you know by the next episode she sits down she has the cookie dough thing she off you fuck back to Los Angeles angel and then she goes down has a conversation with Spike and everything's fine it's so fucking stupid and i absolutely hate it um but we'll talk about that more when we get the second half of it next week um but one thing i kind of wanted to talk about a little bit was the tragic story apparently of miss kitty fantastico i guess we have discovered uh that dawn clearly killed her with a crossbow dark moment tv show dark fucking moment well well or at very least a crossbow was left lying around (laughs) that's all we need like because that's what she said she says i don't leave crossbows lying around anymore i'm like okay that was a hard lesson to learn but there's yeah i mean miss kitty fantastico like when did that happen yeah well yeah it had to be sometime in season five probably because that was the last time we saw miss kitty fantastico and nobody mentioned her since yeah. Poor Miss Kitty Fantastico. Poor Miss Kitty Fantastico. We're going to pour one out for Miss Kitty Fantastico. <laughs> All right, Noelle, what's your favorite part of End of Days? Oh, my God. It's it's Faith. And it's yeah. it's Faith's observation and that, that bid for connection on a philosophical discussion just waiting to happen that mm-hmm. maybe Buffy and Faith can't get along because they weren't supposed to exist together. That yeah. is... So compelling and so cool. And I want to expand that into a whole other thing. But a whole thing. That could be a podcast episode in and of itself. Yeah. It certainly could. It's very interesting. I do like that philosophical space of like what happens when you do this, which is the wonderful thing about fiction is that you can ask a philosophical question and then play it out and see what happens. It's really, really cool. What about you? What's your favorite part? I don't know. Why don't you guess? Spike and Buffy. Like, yeah. <laughs> if there, if Spike and Buffy is an option, has your favorite part ever not been? I don't think so. I think usually it's whatever's going on with Spike and Buffy. I absolutely love this love story. It is one of my favorite things. And this is one of my favorite moments in it in the whole run of them. So, yeah, I loved it. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to join in, follow at Chipperish on Twitter and use the hashtag StillPretty. Or as a Patreon supporter at any level, you can join the Chipperish Discord group and chat live with other listeners and the hosts. 
Hey, have you guys heard? We have a new podcast from Chipperish Media. It is called Endless, and it covers the Sandman comics and TV show. And Neil Gaiman himself said it was his favorite Sandman podcast, so thank you very much. Hosted by me and DC Comics editor Alisa Quitney. Search for Chipperish Endless in your podcast app of choice. And writers, if you like my writerly insights from this, you need to check out my Substack newsletter. Visit dearwriter.substack.com to sign up. And Patreon supporters who chip in at the $10 and up level get to attend show recordings live with chats before and after the show. So if you haven't pledged your support yet, now is the time. Speaking of supporters, this episode of Still Pretty was brought to you by the Chipperish Media producers who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. These people are the reason why Still Pretty is coming to you free and ad-free right now. So thank you to Abby, Alice, Christina, Erica, Jonathan, Kevin, Kristen, Michael, Rose, Sarah, Shelley, Stephania, and Stephanie. And this week's special message for our power producers. You love humans. You love them. I do not. This episode of Still Pretty was edited by Chipperish content editor Jack Cram. Jack, I think you should drive because that scotch made me a little dizzy. We'll be back next time with Chosen, the 22nd episode of Season 7, and the last episode of this show. Oh, my God. Until then, this might be the key to everything, and I'm holding it because of you. Mm-hmm.